Our New Testament reading continues from the Gospel according to Luke. And we're going to read from Luke chapter 11 this morning. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Brothers and sisters, let us listen to God's word for us today. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, find, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy God, you are our generous parent, our patient teacher, our constant friend. We live by the hope of your promises, seek to follow your way, and rely on the gift of your Spirit, by whose power we breathe and move and pray. Overwhelm us with your word that we may know you more fully, love you more passionately, and follow you more closely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a simple request, brothers and sisters from an unnamed disciple. Lord, teach us to pray. Put in front of us something that many of us sometimes think should be a mystery. I mean that issue of prayer and of Christian life and of our life together. Now, according to Goodreads, and I checked it yesterday, there may be more, there are 207 best books on prayer available. There are books which teach the theology of prayer, the different types of prayer like praise and lament and joy and petition, teaching about prayer in the liturgy of the church and occasions for prayer and all the different prayers in the Bible. Jabez and David and Anna and the Psalms and Jeremiah and Mary and Jesus and Paul. And all the many dimensions of prayer, those books abound on the market. And it proves that we want to learn more about prayer. 
And yet, brothers and sisters find it difficult to pray consistently. Which means to me that the issue, all the issues around prayer have not been resolved. Not even after many years of Christian living. After ample opportunities for growth in the practice and understanding of prayer which continue to exist. And of course, I regularly get suggestions that Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church must again be a praying church or we should become a praying church. Maybe this is a wish that we set more disciplined times aside for corporate meditation and reflection and prayer. Maybe this is the same idea as the disciples the disciples request, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I don't know about the majority of the members of Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church. I have not been here long enough. But I be believe most of us often pray consciously and unconsciously. I was waiting for someone to eat their thumb with a hammer today to hear that prayer. <laughs> but we formalize and we ritualize our prayers in many ways. I had meals with many people and all have insisted that we say mealtime prayers even in noisy restaurants. And the great thing is that they don't always expect me as paid Christian to do the praying, but that they do it themselves. We confess and we pray in corporate worship. I often find myself in situations where I utter unrehearsed words in moments of joy or crisis. At night time, the end of the day, in the morning when I wake up, I say prayers of gratitude. We teach our children to pray just like Dan did in our children's time. Sometimes prayer to me is a sense of the abiding presence of God. And I don't think that I am the only one experiencing prayer like this. But it is still important that we preach about prayer because this is where the Reformed Common Lectionary and the Gospel according to Luke leads us today. Luke, brothers and sisters, more than any of the other Gospel writers, stresses the importance of prayer in the life of Jesus. And so we get to know our Savior and the head of the church as someone who prayed at every opportunity. So maybe this unnamed disciple was looking for direction on why and when followers of Jesus are supposed to pray. Maybe he was asking the question about the how. They saw Jesus praying on various occasions. So maybe this disciple wanted to learn the art of praying powerful, effective prayers. You know those prayers where you pray for someone who's sick and they actually get healed? Or you pray for rain and it actually starts to rain or for the rain to stop. I think this is where we all short a bit. We, we do not always see the results that we wish for when we pray. I suspect the fact that the disciples mentions as John taught his disciples in Luke chapter 11 verse 1 means that he got it. Got it that prayer was one of the activities which built community. 
One of the activities, brothers and sisters, which keeps us focused on who we are and whose we are and why we are church here in this world. And so Luke, in his second work, the book of the Acts, says that prayer distinguishes the community of believers from other gatherings. When followers of Jesus got together, it was always in prayer and in worship. Maybe this disciple expected a longer answer to his request. Maybe he did want to hear about secret and mystical practices and techniques on how to approach God. What will ensure us that God will focus on us when we pray? But did you see what Jesus did? Jesus gave a short answer. One that we all recognize this morning is much shorter than the Lord's Prayer that we pray every Sunday, the version in Matthew. So the very first word gives us an indication of what follows in the prayer. And of course, Jesus didn't know then that the word Father would have a negative meaning, meaning load later and in our time. Because the Father at home, the Daddy, so to speak, in our terms, was someone who loved and cared for and provided and protected his family. And yet, God was never addressed before Jesus in this familiar and intimate way, not even in the Old Testament. Jesus apparently did not believe that it was necessary to be famously saintly and virtuous and have a great voice and a great vocabulary to be allowed to call God Father or Daddy. And he always addressed God in public in this intimate way. And knowing, brothers and sisters, that instead, uh, uh, I mean, in, even though he called God Daddy in public, he knew that God's identity and God's name is something apart from the normal world. It was so much more holy than people could think of. So with a one-word introduction, he is followed by some petitions, some prayers, short and direct. One, to honor the name of God while looking forward that eschatological hope for the coming of God's reign, that God will come and be king everywhere. God will be all in all. Then asking for daily bread and forgiveness of sins and, and avoidance of trials. And did you see in this, there's a basic request for daily food, daily bread that which is necessary to sustain life for this day, without any indication of the everything that we hope to get through our prayers. And then follows a request that touches on our relationship to God, our relationship to God and to other people. And maybe we should hear it more often. Forgive us, Release us from our sins. You see, God's forgiveness stimulates us, stimulates people everywhere. If you discover that you are forgiven, how can you not forgive other people? 
God's forgiveness stimulates people and us to recognize the need to forgive everyone indebted to us. Because, brothers and sisters, we hope to model our love on God's mercy to us. We model our way of living on the way that we get to know God. In this prayer, Jesus is acknowledging that that forgiving others, which comes in a a present tense verb, is a never-ending process. It continues and it continues and we know people. They never get it right with us. But we have to continue to forgive them. But the forgiveness that we expect from God is a definitive done deal. It's an past tense, ourest imperative. It is the never, in this never ending process through which community is built where people are reconciled to each other, which becomes the reason why we are known as a church. Accepting, receiving all people, welcoming everyone. And then in the last sentence, Jesus teaches an appeal for personal support. As he who prays asks for protection from circumstances which jeopardize or test faith especially the threat of persecution. And after this instruction on prayer follows that heading in the NRSV, which causes many of us grief, perseverance in prayer, where Jesus poses a hypothetical situation, which according to the translation, teaches persistence or perseverance in prayer. Suppose one of you has a friend and, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. I mean, knocking at someone's door at midnight, brothers and sisters, it's not persistence. I mean, I will knock carefully. If you knock for whatever reason, that time of night at someone, on someone's door, I think it's a little shameless. Maybe shameful. And asking for three loaves of bread and not only the one that Jesus just taught us to pray about, that may be totally a shameless action. Now the Greek word that is used in this passage, which is translated with persistence, may be better translated with shameless. Because we don't see in the story that the neighbor had to knock and to knock and to shout and to holler and to keep on knocking to get the attention of his neighbor. What Jesus says is that because the neighbor is shameless in asking the homeowner, the homeowner will get up and give him what he needs because there's a relationship between the neighbor and the homeowner. And in those days, shame was one of the motivators. You didn't cause more shame to be heaped on your neighbor. Prayer, according to this passage and according to Luke's larger portrait of Jesus, is not primarily about getting things from God, asking everything that we want and hope to get it. But it is about the relationship that we have with God. It is about relationship building with God and with each other. So Jesus implies that we, that we are shameless 
when we ask God anything. Maybe because God already knows. We are shameless if we ask for what we need and, and, and we can shamelessly bring our hopes and our fears and our disappointments and our triumphs and joys to God. It is as if Jesus is telling his disciples, asking them, can you imagine it? There is no technique. There are no mechanics. There are no special words and no piousness and no pretending and no shame at all. Because, brothers and sisters, we are invited into a relationship with God through prayer. And we are invited to approach God, whose name is too holy to speak, and yet whom we can call Daddy, Father. Just us, with our familiarity, Shameless in our honesty, shameless in our need, shameless in our willingness to ask God for all that we hope for. Because you see, the promise of Jesus according to God, uh, about God is, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And suddenly there's the mention of, of a Holy Spirit in the original, no definitive article at the end of the reading. Maybe Luke wanted to say that praying and asking and seeking and knocking is about bread and fish and eggs and daily food. But it is not about bread and fish and eggs and daily food. It is about receiving a badly needed, holier spirit. A badly needed, holy spirit who can change the way that we live and that we work and that we behave and relate to one another. The holy spirit who changes everything in our lives, also our prayer life. The message of this passage uh, this morning is therefore not pray harder or pray more or keep trying or continue to pray. But the message is, believe in God without regard for convention or fear of giving of offense. Believe in God and pray shamelessly without looking for educated words and higher tones and special ways. Hold on to God's promise because God abides with us. Just do it. Have a Holy Spirit. Amen.